0: You're listening to Ottawa's Baseball Show. It's Around the Diamond with Diamond Dante and Mike Nellis on CKDJ 107.9,
1: home of the Ottawa champions. Welcome to the only baseball show in Ottawa. You're listening to Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9, the June 18th edition of Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9. My name is Diamond Dante. Joined here with Michael Nellis in studio, and Mike, uh, it's been a, a tough week without the champions as they were on the road for a long stint uh, across Quebec, and it was, uh, I guess, nice to finally get a break.
2: I was, I was missing a piece of my life while the champions were on the road. And so was I. It's, it's, it, yeah, you're right. But no, it's good to have them back. They're back in Ottawa this week as they take on Quebec and then the Cuban national team. Uh, in what is probably the biggest series in team history, yeah. um, arguably uh, aside from uh, maybe the 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 last series of the year last year against Trois Rivieres when the champions were fighting for a playoff spot, um, but it'll be fun. It'll be good, and I think uh, a lot of people are going to enjoy the baseball that they see this weekend. Fireworks, fireworks on Saturday night—the first time uh, in uh, champions in champions history. I don't know. It's it's it, yeah, exactly. Uh, tonight. Um, and uh it's going to be uh well, it's it's gonna be a first since the Lynx were here, basically. That pretty much we have not we have not seen fireworks at the um at the RCGT park because of MTO laws that prohibit it. Of course the ballpark's right beside the highway. Yeah. So you can't do that, but the champions get an exemption uh for this very special Saturday night game tonight. Absolutely, as the
1: uh Ottawa champions are up against the Cuban national team. Uh, Mike and I will have uh, our uh, recap on uh, Friday's game in our final segment, which will be uh, recorded live at the ballpark. As yeah. for uh, today, we're here in studio and we're talking champions baseball. Uh, at the, you know, they went on uh, a, a nice road trip. But before we talk we go into that in the roster moves that the champions have made, Mike, um, coming up on today's show, uh, we're in our next segment. We're going to be joined with Jimmy Van Ostridge, uh, former Canadian alumni. He used to play with Sebastian Boucher in the Pan Am Games in, on the Canadian national team, so a little bit of connection there. Uh, played independent ball, spent eight seasons between the Washington Nationals and Houston Astros system. He's now the coach
2: of... The University of Arizona Tucson. There we go. And
1: uh, he was a great interview, <laughs> to be honest. He uh, He's going to be coming on in our next segment. Hey, don't he's
2: spoil g- it, though. Uh,
1: I'm not going to spoil <laughs> it. You know what, we'll keep it there. And uh, yeah. uh, we joked around a little bit in, at the end of the segment, uh, so uh, it's going to be uh, real fun. Uh, to have him on. And then after that, we're going to have TJ Zoic, uh, the uh, Toronto Blue Jays' uh, first-round pick from uh, the draft. And then after that, we're going to talk with uh, Ben Nicholson-Smith as he had a chance to attend the draft uh, last Thursday and talk uh, with Zoic and a couple of their other draftees. And then Mike and I will talk about the uh, Cuban national team uh, here on Around the Diamond. But without further ado, why don't you take us through the uh, transactions uh, out of the Can-Am League that the champions have made?
2: Oh, the Champions of Maine. How about the whole league? Why don't well, we do that? A couple, uh, yeah, Yeah, for sure. There's, there's been a couple since June 11th. A couple notable ones on the transaction list. One of them for the Ottawa Champions... Um, or notable for the champions that was not necessarily made by the champions because Quebec activated the outfielder Kalyan Sams off the Lol. disabled list on June 11th. He is now off the DL. He's been pl- good. Yeah, he played against Ottawa in the Quebec series and was very, very good. Uh, made an impact on the series right away. Rockland released infielder Luis Parache and the Trois-Rivières Agla signed Javier Herrera after he went off th- onto the DL and came back uh, there was a roster thing there, so they had to release Herrera and then sign him again. On June 12th, Quebec signed right-handed pitcher Derek Hooker and right-handed pitcher Guillaume Le Duc, and they placed Max Tissenbaum on the disabled list. The Trois-Rivières-Agla released catcher Reed Lavallee, uh, finally, and there <laughs> been, there's been and uh, nothing against uh, Mr. Lavallee. There's been rumors of that for a while. And then Quebec released catcher Cody Kaczynski on June 14th, or on June 13th, of me, on June 14th, New Jersey signed the best name in baseball in left-handed pitcher, Jose Jose. And uh, really? uh, they are, according to the transaction list, unless uh, there is a mistake there, which there very well could be because I've never seen that name before. Uh, but uh, they also placed infielder Dustin Lally on the disabled list, retroactive to June Eighth, Trois-Rivières released infielder Eric Grabe and right-handed pitcher Luis Munoz. Finally, the Ottawa champions activated infielder Daniel Bick from the disabled list. They traded infielder Ryan Baraket to the Trois-Rivières Agla in exchange for a player to be named later. They released infielder Robert Garza, and they signed right-handed pitcher Nick Cunningham. Well, you know what, Mike? It was a a busy week.
1: Well, you know what, Mike? I've been very uh, sad to this point as Robert Garza... One of the only players on the team that's my size, my height, and looks just like me back in my young days. So it was a back in tough... your
2: young days, he's older than you. <laughs> he's 22. So <laughs>
1: back when I played high school baseball, Michael, I'll tell you right now, you know, uh, you know, just just talking to Garza, great kid. I'll tell you right now, you know, he had a tough time here in Ottawa, and I uh, and I and I had a chat with him after he had got the call, and he, you know, he said that uh, he's just going to keep trying to play baseball, and I said, don't worry, you're going you'll find a job somewhere else. Um, there's there's lots yeah. of independent leagues out there. Uh, you never know. Maybe uh, he, you know he turns things around. He had a tough time playing defense uh, in Ottawa. You know he was playing shortstop uh, under the spotlight, uh, and I, I think that he'll do a lot better now. Brockett, I'll, you know, on the other hand, he goes to Trois Revere and he was in Trois Revere so he doesn't even have to leave.
2: No, exactly. The <laughs> champions were right there, and and that's exactly where Ryan Brockett will stay uh, after being traded there for future considerations, as I mentioned before. Brockett was, um, he he was basically a utility guy. And I was talking to uh, Nicolas Ducarme, the broadcaster of the Trois-Rivières-Aigle, and he was saying, uh, where does Brockett play? And I said, everywhere, because (laughs) that's exactly where he plays. He plays everywhere does Ryan Brockett he's a utility guy who can play third base shortstop second base we've seen him in right field we've seen him in center field and left field he can literally play anywhere on the diamond and he can do it fairly well in a backup position so uh, that's somebody that uh, teams are always going to be um, looking after and looking for players like that. Hal Lanier said a little while back in a presser, I think he kind of let this one slip, where he said, you know, we're not going to release Brockett yet. And, of course, this probably was about three weeks ago when he addressed media after a game, and he said the word yet, and it was kind of like, okay, how did long he, is... I didn't
1: even catch on yeah, to that.
2: I was kind of thinking to myself, I, I didn't really say anything, but I was kind of thinking to myself, you know, how long is Ryan Brockett going to be oh, around so he for? Did,
1: so Hal Lanier did that yet.
2: Yeah, kind of well, thing. not not really. He 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 didn't like put an accent on it. He didn't try to to, to convey a message that Ryan Brockett's going to be gone. But he just kind of said, "We're not releasing him yet," and I, that that word "yet," and I was kind of like, oh, "Maybe." I know what, My, Ryan Brockett will be on his way out, and he was. I, w- I didn't even catch on to that, mm-hmm. and I
1: and I was recording that Your, audio. Mm-hmm. Was it on? Which day was that on?
2: Oh, I don't remember which day it was, but wow. it was uh, it was during the last homestand.
1: Okay, well, either way, he's uh, they traded him for a uh, player to be named later, so if yep. the champions do need someone, they pick him up and they get a good kid, of course. But uh, they do get Daniel Bick back, and we've seen his defense. Howling, you touched on it in our post-game interview uh, after Bick's first game. Very happy to have Big back at shortstop. He made two game-saving plays, as far as I'm concerned.
2: Well, there was one play with the bases loaded in uh, the top of the ninth, I believe it was. Yeah, Yeah. top of the ninth, where he charged the ball. It was in uh, around the second base bag, and he had to really range over to his left to get to the baseball. And he just gunned out the runner. Uh, at first, I forget who the base runner was for Quebec, but it was a, a real good play. And and, and Daniel Bick, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, Dante, uh, is a very big uh, acquisition uh, for this champions rog- uh, roster, or I guess um, it, it's good to have him back if you're the Ottawa champions, because you miss that. You miss that, you know, that good defensive presence. And he was charged with an error. In that first game back, which was uh, kind of surprising to me and surprising to a lot of other people as well on the play where he was charged an error. But nonetheless, it is his scorer's discretion, he got an error. The champions made three errors against, that, uh, against Quebec in their first game, which is obviously um, not uh, what you want to see from a team that has really made a lot of strides defensively from the beginning of the year. Uh, but it's just another one of those games, and it's another one of those things that the champions can work on. Absolutely, Mike, and you know what? It's been a,
1: it's a it's been a tough season for the Ottawa champions, up and down. Uh, now, you know they're around the 500 mark uh, this season, and and you know Hal Lanier even said it, it's finally nice to get back onto that 500 mark. They had a good series in Quebec. Now they're at home for what is it, 11 days? Something straight?
2: crazy like that. Yeah. yeah.
1: So and and then you look at the season, and, and Billy Horn was very bold about this uh, in uh, a pregame interview that I had with him, and he said we have the best pitching staff quote unquote in the Can Am League. And 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 I, I think he's right about that. You know, the pitching for Ottawa has just been outstanding for them this season and that's the reason why they have the record that
2: they do. I think you're right and I'm going to agree with Billy on that too. I, I think agree. I think the champions have the best pitching staff in the league. Uh, you know, it's they, close and it's arguable. I think Quebec is right there. Uh, they have a very good pitching staff and we saw it in the first game of the series when Yesvir Ricard went to the mound and delivered a very good performance against the Ottawa Champions. Their closer John Fitzsimmons can throw He's a stud. An, he can throw 95 which is ridiculous for rookie? this league, and his slider is at about eighty-eight. So yeah. it's it's just ridiculous for uh, John Fitzsimmons. But um, you know, I, I think kids. I think Quebec is the only pitching roster that comes close to the champions. Um, well,
1: I said it in the broadcast: this is a pitching duel, it, over, and and, and it
2: was. Yeah. It, it really was. Dan Cordero has proven uh, since coming into the Can-Am League that he's a capable starter uh Jan Carlos Gill has, has been, been, been very good and I hope that the champions keep him in the rotation no, because in. he he's in for good okay that's that's confirmed by Billy Horn yeah, pitching coach uh, which is very good to hear um because he he's been solid as well as a starter and he's uh, had a little bit more success than Randy Hamrick to this point uh, so um, he'll um and so so Dante you just take that
1: <laughs> no 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 um what i wanted to say is that uh, i spoke to Billy Horn yesterday he said Hamrick to the bullpen Gill is going to stay as a starter.
2: Yeah, so that's what I assumed, and uh, Randy Hamrick will go to the bullpen. And uh, I am glad to see that he was a closer in Amarillo uh, for the last couple years years um, in the American Association. So he'll return to the bullpen where I think Randy Hamrick is going to be well suited. Uh, and then, you know, looking at the other starters, you know, you really can't go wrong. You've got Wilmer Font at the top of the rotation. Leighton Galbraith Excellent. is right there as well. He is fantastic. He's just having another fantastic start to the year this year, just like he did last year. And it's really good to see him. Um, Really pick up where he left off In his rookie campaign in the Can-Am League last year And he's still considered a rookie this year Yeah, which Uh, is good Yeah, exactly, which is very good Because he didn't play the full season last year So he will only be an LS1 in his third real year Of experience as a starter in professional baseball Next year Pretty crazy to think that well but, that's good for that is the Ottawa, case. right? That's it, good for Ottawa. If Galbraith does come back to the champions after this season, I'm I'm you know, I'm struggling to to understand why he would. I think I I think he's a candidate to be picked up just like Josh Blanco was and Daniel Bick is. So I I wouldn't be surprised to see um Galbraith gone. Well, you know what, Mike? As
1: far as I'm concerned, I think that Ottawa's not gonna have the same team in terms of not just releasing guys. I mean that teams are going to be looking at Ottawa in terms of their pitching. They're going to get taken away. I talked to Billy about this, and he said that's the beauty of the Can-Am League. We're here to bring guys in, help them get good, and then sell them off to other teams. And it helps the champions as well because they get a little extra cash, you know.
2: And and that's the thing. That's what Hal Lanier says to his players. And you know, it, it kind of does suck. Um, you know, when we're sitting back and saying. Oh, well, uh, you know, uh, we're going to get you out of here, right? Because it it gives you the the lure that you just don't want to be in Ottawa. But the fact of the matter is that players don't. They want to be in affiliated baseball. They don't want to be playing independent baseball, right? Um, This is a launching pad to get to bigger and better things for a lot of these guys. And there's some guys that don't, like Sebastian Boucher. Um, But many of them— Jonathan Mello, Yeah, exactly. Wilmer Font is a guy that's trying to get back. Uh, you know Daniel Cordero he's trying to get back these are guys that can get back and if you ask me I think there's a very good chance that they will
1: absolutely Mike and with that being said we're going to wrap up our first segment of Around the Diamond a good champions talk of course Mike coming up next we're going to be joined with Jimmy Van Ostridge played triple-a ball with the Washington Nationals and Houston Astros also coaches the uh, University of Arizona uh, Tucson yes Got it right there. And uh, so (laughs) so the interview with uh, Van Ostridge is going to be coming up next on Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9.
0: Hi, this is Billy Horn from the Ottawa Champions Baseball Club. And you're listening to Ottawa Champions Baseball on CKDJ 107.9.
1: Welcome back to Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9, Ottawa's new music. Today, I am very happy to be joined over the phone with Jimmy Van Ostridge. Jimmy is a Canadian baseball alumni who coaches the Arizona Wildcats baseball team. Also played eight seasons of professional baseball with the Astros and Washington National System. Jimmy, welcome to the show.
3: Thanks for having me, guys.
1: No problem, and uh, Jimmy, uh, just before we get into your baseball career, uh, in your young high school days, it seems like you were a natural athlete. You led your uh, your school to four basketball titles along with a gold medal uh, in badminton at the Junior Pan American Games. Jimmy, uh, what made you want to pursue baseball more than any of those other sports?
3: Baseball had kind of always been my first love. You know, I really, ever since I've been a little kid, I've been infatuated with the game, so it was uh, kind of a no-brainer for that the one that I pursue. You know, I loved playing all the different sports in high school and I feel that helped me excel at baseball later on, but it uh, it has always been my first love.
1: Yeah, for sure. And uh, Jimmy, in, uh, in 2003, you were drafted by the Pittsburgh Pirates in the 29th round and then opted out, went to the NCAA at California State University. After that, uh, you were drafted in the eighth round. In that span of time, uh, can you tell us about your decision-making and why you chose to ascend, uh, attend college for a second time?
3: Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing, when, uh, when I was sort of going through high school and, and at the junior college, my goal had been to uh, play at a Division one university. And uh, I, you know, the, the professional aspirations were a little bit of a pipe dream, but really the focus was on getting to play Division one baseball. And then when I was selected by the Pirates, that was kind of when the light bulb went off in my head that, hey, maybe I've got a chance to really uh, make a career out of this and kind of push me to that next level with uh, with my training and with my focus and everything like that and uh, kind of kept working harder. And, and thankfully, after my couple of years at Cal Poly, the uh, Houston Astros gave me an opportunity to sign and go play for them.
2: Now, Jimmy, you had the opportunity to play for the Astros, you've had the opportunity as well to play internationally with Canada uh, at the 2011 Pan Am Games, um, where uh, Canada was pretty successful, and uh, what was your experience like uh, playing uh, internationally for Canada at the Pan Ams?
3: Those national team experiences are uh, right there at the top of anything I've been able to uh, do in my life. Uh, Some of the accomplishments are unbelievable, but just the the memories and that group of players that we got to all play together, I mean, those are some of my best friends, and uh, it's truly a a special experience to be able to put your country across your chest and go out there with uh, some of your best friends and uh, represent your country.
1: Jamie Van Ostra is joining us here on Around the Diamond. And I want you to tell us about why you decided to go and pursue coaching now that you're a director of player development at the uh, Arizona State College. I believe it's the Wildcats. Um, What made you want to pursue your coaching career uh, at the age of 30?
3: You know, it just seemed like it was the right time for me. Uh, I'd done everything in professional baseball, and thanks to the national team that I had wanted to outside of playing in the major leagues, and for me, i really, you know, as I kind of progressed in the game, I really was interested by coaching and wanted to pass on a lot of that knowledge that uh, had, had been passed on to me. And it just seemed like a good time for me to be able to sort of move to the,
2: the next phase of my life. And, and what's your experience been like uh, as a coach, especially like compared to playing? And I, I, I guess the uh, the question, you know, coming out of this topic is, you know, what's the biggest part of the transition for you uh, when you're going from playing to coaching?
3: I think the hardest thing for me, especially initially and still, is that it, it doesn't matter what you know anymore. It's what you can translate over to your players. Mm -hmm. So it's not how can you handle a situation or what would you do here, what would
2: It's funny that you bring that up because, um, you know, actually switching to a Canadian topic in hockey for a second, Mario Lemieux said uh, after uh, the Penguins won the Stanley Cup that it's harder for him to watch games uh, from the press box than it is to uh, play in the games because you don't have an effect on that. Do you ever get that feeling? It's harder for you to just sit back and watch than it is to play?
3: Oh, uh, 100%. Completely agree. I was actually, we uh, just won our Super Regional at Mississippi Yes, And I was uh, sitting down in the bullpen with one of our freshmen, and I, I said that exact same thing to him. I said, you have no idea how much easier it is to be up there at the plate than just sitting there and uh, watching this thing play out. He kind of chuckled at it. But uh, I, I don't think he really understood how serious I was with that comment. And I, I couldn't agree more.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's Jimmy Van Ostra joining us here on the Round Diamond, Director of Player Development at the Arizona State College, and now that we're you know, on the topic of coaching, uh, what made you want to coach specifically, I guess, um, in college baseball? Uh, was there anything that kind of came up that kind of directed your mind towards that, or did you ever think about maybe coming and coaching indie ball, minor league ball, anything like that?
3: Well, I was lucky uh, to have the opportunity to start out at Boston College in uh, Chestnut Hill Math and. So that was through a friend that I played minor league ball. He put me in touch with their head coach. They had known me. So that was uh, sort of the initial direction into college baseball, and I was lucky to spend a few years there. They actually just got off the run at the Super Regional, so I was really happy to see those guys um, excelling in their program there. And uh, then kind of as it's gone forward, you know, I was lucky enough to come out here to the University of Arizona at Tucson, and that was an outstanding opportunity. And for me, I really love the college atmosphere because you get to do all the baseball stuff, but you also get to help them kind of grow up and um, mature as a a whole person. And whereas the professional baseball and the indie ball, those things are really just about you developing as a baseball player, which is great and I love, but I feel like uh, I've got the opportunity to have a bigger impact on some of these kids. Uh, as a college coach as opposed to being on the professional side of
2: things. You're 31 years old. You've got a lot of time ahead of you uh, in baseball if you want to take it that way. Uh, Do you plan on staying in college as a coach, or is it kind of like a we'll see where baseball takes me kind of thing? Uh,
3: I mean, obviously you can always sort of see where it takes you, but I couldn't be uh, happier with my decision so far, and I really do love the college baseball arena. It's been everything I could have hoped for and more. When I was going into it, I thought that I would like coaching, and uh, I've re- I really found out that I love, love coaching and love being around the guys. And I think you need to be for how this, how demanding this profession is, and the amount of time and travel and things you put in. But uh, there's, there's nothing else that I'd rather be doing.
1: Jimmy Van is joining us here on Around the Diamond. And uh, I want to move over to your playing days. Of course, uh, a topic that I kind of uh, looked at here. Uh, you played indie ball for a short season, and only 27 games. And and we've seen this while covering covering the Can-Am League uh, here in Ottawa. With the Astros, you spent a large amount of time in A, And then you went over to the Atlantic League, played 27 games. You were excellent, 368 average. Uh, and then you came over... Uh, from organized ball into the indie league and then back to organized ball midseason. How did that really play out when you got the, I guess, a contract? How does that really kind of happen? Uh, you know, getting picked up midseason.
3: Basically, what happened? I got I was started the season off with the Astros in spring training. I got released at the end of camp, and at that time of year, it's a, it's a pretty tough time of year to get caught back on. A lot of some people can pull it off, but for me, uh, I just needed a place to play. So was lucky enough that the, uh, to sign on with the Sugar Land Skeeters in the Atlantic League. It was the inaugural year of their franchise. So went out there, uh, played for about a month there with those guys, had a lot of fun. And uh, then thankfully the Nationals offered me a contract and headed off to their AA affiliate in Harrisburg.
2: What was the Atlantic League like, uh, Jimmy? Because it's got the uh, the reputation as being like the more flashy of the independent leagues. And, and the Sugarland Skeeters actually, um, in particular, are the team uh, that kind of carry that a little bit with their promotions and stuff. What was it, what was it like to play for Sugarland uh, and in the Atlantic League?
3: I really enjoyed it. You know, we had a great fan base. Uh, it's it's good baseball. You have a lot of players. I mean, you've got a lot of guys there with big league time. You've got a lot of guys there with good... Uh, Sort of professional minor league careers, and uh, it was it was a fun place to play, and definitely test your skills against guys that still uh, still have a lot left in the thing.
2: Now I know that you left uh, Sugarland partway through the year, and I didn't know the answer to this question, so I figured I'd ask you: Did you get to play with Roger Clemens in 2012 when he played games with Sugarland?
3: I did not. Ah. I, was, uh, I was never there at the same time as him. But uh, luckily, Kobe his. Son was one of my teammates oh. for a few years in the Astros system, so uh, I was fortunate enough to spend some time around him and, and their whole family, and really enjoyed every uh, opportunity I got to spend in the in the same room with
1: him. Absolutely, and, and Jimmy, when you went over, played Atlantic League, you got signed uh, by the Washington Nationals, and you played pretty well in Double A, got called up, uh, you know, still played pretty well in 2013. You hit 296 in 21 games uh, in Triple A with. Uh, the Washington Nationals, in Syracuse. When did you kind of feel it was time to, to call it quits despite having a, you know some good numbers up there?
3: Uh, you know, it, it just uh, kind of throughout that whole year, and, and even the year before, you're, you get to that point where you're just sort of constantly evaluating uh, where you're at and is the demands that it takes to keep performing at that high level and sort of what your goals and aspirations are. And for me, playing in the big leagues wasn't quite on that same pedestal as it had been anymore. And I got to feel that I was a little bit more of an insurance policy as opposed to things were dictated by how my particular play was on the field. Um, And it it just seemed it was a good time for me to to walk away. I had a tremendous experience, and I was part of two great organizations, and uh, I I couldn't be happier for my time there. But at the same time, it seemed like it was the right time for me to uh, move on
1: and move forward. And, Jimmy, before we go, of course, I I talked to you about this off mic. A good buddy of mine, Mike Kasavich, you guys played together uh, in the Pan Am Games, I believe, and it was against Taiwan. You had a little bit of a a bench-clean brawl against them that Mike came on the (laughs) show, actually on my second episode of the show back in March, and kind of talked about it. He said that you had rammed the catcher and things went down from there. Uh, Can you give us your take on the story that's been told to me about, about three years now?
3: Yeah, it was—you uh, know—it's it's the best game I've ever played in in my life. Yeah, based on the, the things that were at stake and the atmosphere and everything. You know, we had twenty thousand plus fans there in Taiwan with the Olympic berth on the line. And uh, I believe it was the—it uh, was the seventh or the eighth inning of that game. And uh, Emerson Frostback came up with a big base hit. I was trying to score from second base, but unfortunately, I'm not as fast as. Uh, your buddy Sebastian Boucher there, <laughs> so uh, I was uh, I was going to be out at the plate, so I made a good run at their catcher, uh, which isn't I guess as prevalent in Asian baseball. No. So they kind of they kind of took exception to it, um, and we had a little discussion at home plate. One of their players tossed a rosin bag over towards our dugout, mm-hmm. and uh, you know the bench is cleared and uh, the, the fans got into it a little bit, so that that ramped us up. No, we had a big, uh, stubby clap, beat out of oh, out infield single, <laughs> and then, um, uh, I think Michael Saunders was the one that, uh, had the hit that got stubby in to tie the game, yeah. backflip, um, and then, uh, I was lucky enough to have a big hit in extra innings to put up the hit, I think Matt Rogelstad was the one that scored the winning run, so it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things that I can, uh, as soon as you start talking about it, you flash back and it's, uh. Just, just a tremendous game to be a part of and uh, yeah, I think I gave Kasavich a huge bear hug at yeah the you one did one when, uh, <laughs> when we finally closed
1: it out yes you did I seen the picture a lot he showed me that picture a couple of times he said and, and I'm going to quote him on this one he said he's probably the biggest guy that's ever came and gave him a bear hug <laughs> <laughs> yeah
3: that was uh, that was a great moment for sure gotta love that one.
1: Oh yeah it's been an awesome I mean I've heard this story many times but it's nice to hear from an, um, another representative but uh, with that being said we're going to wrap up uh, this segment in the interview, and uh, Jimmy, it was a real pleasure having on you, sh- having you on the show, and uh, yeah. uh, we look forward to hearing you, uh, hearing from you once again.
3: Thanks, guys. All the best. Hope everyone's cheering the Wildcats in Omaha
1: this
2: week. No, absolutely. Thanks a lot, Jimmy.
1: Coming up next, Ben Nicholson-Smith from Sportsnet.ca, Sportsnet Magazine, and the At the Letters Podcast will come on to talk Blue Jays draft picks from last Thursday, along uh, with. Some talk about Aaron Sanchez possibly moving to the bullpen. You're listening to Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9.
3: Hey, this is Daniel
4: Bick from the Ottawa Champions Baseball Club, and you're listening to the Ottawa Champions on CKDJ 107.9.
1: You're listening to Around the Diamond on CKDJ 1079, home to every single Ottawa Champions game. My guest for this segment is Ben Nicholson-Smith, who covers the Toronto Blue Jays on Sportsnet.ca, Sportsnet Magazine, and the At The Letters podcast. Ben, welcome to the show.
4: Thanks for having me on.
1: No problem. And uh, I guess um, you had a chance to uh, cover a little bit of the draft uh, um, that it that was uh, actually just about a week ago. And uh, I mean... Uh, what are your first thoughts on the Blue Jays draft picks uh, to this point before we get into them?
4: You know, I, I think that when you look at their first rounder, TJ Zoy, like he's someone who has a lot of promise. And, and I think any time you have a 6-7 pitcher, someone who throws downhill and gets a lot of ground balls, that's going to be the type of pitcher that's really intriguing to teams and definitely a first-round talent, someone who can throw in the mid-90s and comfortably pitch around 93 to 95 so like most first round picks he's going to need a lot of development and i'd be surprised if we saw him up here before even the next couple of years but he's got that promise and it'll be interesting to see what he can do in the blue jays system
1: yeah so i guess now that you mentioned tj Zoic the first name that you know that comes to everyone's mind is tj zoik he's six foot seven he throws hard but from what you've heard what does tj bring to the table not only on the field off the field and uh, what What can we mainly see him do uh, in the future with the Toronto Blue Jays?
4: Well, they definitely see him as a starting pitcher, and that's that's what you're looking for in the early part of the draft, no question there. I mean, really, with your first few picks, with the exception this year of Zach Jackson, anytime you're taking a pitcher, you want to have that upside of being a starting pitcher, someone who can start 30 games for you, pitch close to 200 innings, and Zoic definitely has that. I mean, you look at the, the big frame, that's something that scouts always seem to look for, with a starting pitching prospect. He can throw hard, and he's got some breaking pitches that have promised. So I think like any pitcher, the you know, distinguishing factor between a starter and a reliever is going to be whether he has those secondary pitches and whether he can throw them for strikes. And really, that's where the Blue Jays' player development is going to come in for the next couple of seasons.
1: Sportsnet Show, um, Ben Nicholson-Smith, joining us here on Around the Diamond. And, uh, of course, I had a chance to read a couple articles on Sportsnet.com on how the Blue Jays were very heavy on drafting college pitchers in uh, this year's draft. Would you say that drafting more developed college pitchers will better the Blue Jays in the long run rather than taking kids out of high school?
4: You know, it could. It it definitely could. I think it, it comes down to who you're getting, though. I mean, if you get Aaron Sanchez and Noah Syndergaard like the Blue Jays did in 2010, you could be taking them out of middle school. I mean, it doesn't really matter if they have that kind of promise then you're going to get results. It's just going to take a lot longer. It's going to take patience in both of their cases. It took a lot of development. And I think, too, you could safely say that they've exceeded expectations. So that's where you have a lot more risk. You have a lot more uncertainty when you're taking a high school pick. But the payoff can be just as big. Whereas if you're taking a college arm, you're that much closer to seeing what they're like as a finished product. They've had the chance to mature physically. They're closer to where they're going to be in terms of their strength, in terms of their size and their secondary pitches are also going to be more evolved to the point that they resemble the type of pitcher that they will be eventually at the major league level.
1: Absolutely, and uh, the Jays also ended up taking a young shortstop out of high school in Bo Uh He's the youngest son of former big, big leaguer Dante Bichette. Ben, it looks like the Jays uh, picked up a steal on Bichette as he was projected to go uh, in the mid-first round. They ended up taking him in the second round. Ben, from what you've heard, what can you tell us about the Jays' pick in Bichette?
4: Well, it's interesting. Anytime you see the Blue Jays or any other team take someone who has that connection to a former big leaguer. And we saw it also with Kevin Biggio.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: And with both of these players, they have legitimate promise. Bichette now is actually signed with the Blue Jays. So he's officially in the fold as a Toronto Blue Jay. He'll have the chance to get his career started uh, right here and now. But if he's able to come anywhere close to replicating the career of, of his father, Dante Bichette, the former slugger with the Colorado Rockies, then I'm sure the Blue Jays would be thrilled.
1: Well, I'm going to tell you right now, Dante Bichette, one of my favorite players, because there's not too many guys that play professional sports that have the same name as me, so I guess I'll, that's true. <laughs> I guess I'll mention that. But uh, since the main focus, Ben, has been on these two big picks in Zoic and Bichette, is there anyone else that maybe uh, that's off the radar of uh, some Blue Jays fans out there that we could maybe see uh, be a productive player uh, coming up through the system in the next couple years?
4: Oh, for sure. I mean, that's the beauty of the draft. You see guys like Kevin Pillar, who was taken in the 32nd round, I think it was. So you never know where the next breakout player is going to emerge from. But I think one guy that I'll be watching closely is Zach Jackson, who I mentioned earlier. Yeah. And he's someone who closed in his college career. He did a little bit of starting pitching as well. And it sounds like the Blue Jays are going to give him a shot as a starting pitcher, see what he could do in that role. But I do really intrigued to see him as a reliever, someone who could potentially move through the system quickly, given that he is a college guy and typically relievers require less in the way of development. But you're talking about a pitcher who can throw 94 to 95 miles an hour and he mixes in a very hard breaking ball that can be very effective. So that's someone that I'll be watching, and, and maybe Jackson, when he gets his career started, will start putting up some big numbers.
1: I think so as well. As now that you mentioned that, you know, good breaking ball, hard fast. Well, that's always nice to see out of the bullpen. Um, I saw a tweet from Ken Rosen rosenthal uh ben that dalton pompey has been very hot as of late he's hitting 300 with a 371 on base percentage uh in triple a with the bisons uh could we maybe see him possibly be a potential trade trip for the toronto blue jays
4: i'd be surprised i think that as much as pompey has started to really reach his potential in triple a and put things together down there I don't think the Blue Jays could afford to trade him just because when you look at next year, you have Michael Saunders hitting free agency and the way that he's played, he's in line for a big multi-year contract. You have Jose Bautista hitting free agency, and of course we know that he's going to be looking for a very handsome contract as well. So all of a sudden, you have two out of your three outfielders hitting free agency at the same time, and I just don't see Mark Shapiro trying to trade Dalton Pompey when that looming gap is is so close on the horizon. So I, I really think that, that they're going to hold on to him and really most of their top prospects at the trade deadline.
1: And that's Ben Nicholson-Smith joining us here in Around the Diamond. Uh, John Gens came out and says that Sanchez moving to the bullpen is pretty much going to happen as pretty much the sky's been the limit for him this season. Of course, the innings limit kind of kick him. What's the situation with Sanchez to this point? Uh, you know, how, What's the innings like? Uh, how long could we see Sanchez in the starting rotation for the Blue Jays?
4: Well, my guess at this point would be that we'll see him in the rotation probably until the beginning of August, somewhere around there. And if he were to make, let's say, seven more starts, then his innings for the season would be around 130. And then at that point, you tack on 20, 30 more innings as a reliever, and you're up to the 150, 160 range, a range of innings that you would think the Blue Jays would be pretty comfortable with, given that Sanchez has already gone up to the 130 range. So... That's just kind of ballparking it. I would think that it's going to be a moving target. There's no hard and fast number, and we all know that circumstances can change. And and Aaron Sanchez, the way he's pitched so far has definitely made believers out of a lot of people. It would be very tough to lose his production, but it sounds like the Blue Jays are prepared to do that to make sure that they're not boosting his workload too, too much in the course of one year.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Ben. That's Ben Nicholson-Smith joining us here on Around the Diamond. And now that you mentioned Sanchez possibly moving uh, to the bullpen, is there anyone maybe in A that the Jays could call up uh, to fill that role in the starting rotation? I know Scott Diamond has pitched well. He's now up with the big league club. Or do the Blue Jays kind of go out and try to acquire someone?
4: Well, I think right now the plan would be Drew Hutchison. And, and he's pitched very well. Hutchison's DRA is right around three. He's striking out more than a batter per inning down in A. And he's cut down on the walks. So really, the performance has been there. And you know that he's got big league experience. He has been an effective big league starter as recently as 2014. So that's a decent fallback. At the same time, I really wonder if the Blue Jays don't take a good hard look around the trade market. because. If you do add Hutchison to replace Sanchez in the rotation, then you're one injury away from having to go to Scott Diamond or Wade LeBlanc. And I'm not sure that a contending team should be comfortable with that idea. So I I wonder, I think that it's going to be Hutchison as the default. I still think the Blue Jays are going to be active in trade talk, trying to find a way to bolster that rotation outside the organization.
1: Yeah, that's Ben Nicholson, Smurf, joining us here in Around the Diamond. And last week on uh, on my uh, podcast, I had uh, a couple of the guys come in uh, from, from the champions in the, uh, that I work with, and we had a talk about uh, Roberto Osuna and how he's been overused this season. Do you think the Blue Jays uh, have overused Osuna this season? As you know, last week, he had a couple tough situations. He had to come in when Estrada uh, was throwing a no-hitter. That kind of blew out of proportion. There was the one against the Tigers. Do the Blue Jays need to acquire a little bit more depth in the bullpen to give Osuna uh, a couple nights off?
4: Yeah, I I think they definitely should look to do just that. And if Brett Thiezel can come back, that would be a big piece for them. Um, Jason Greeley has emerged as one of the more trusted options that John Gibbons is going to. But, yeah, I I think they need more. And Osuna, like you said, has gone through stretches this year where he has been used a ton. There was a period recently where he pitched 10 times in 17 days, and that's a lot for any pitcher, especially someone who's 21 and a big piece of the Blue Jays' future. So I think that the Blue Jays could really do with another arm in there because once you get to the end of the year, you might not be able to rest these guys as much as you would have initially expected, and that's when you need to have multiple arms at your disposal so you're not over-relying on any one reliever.
1: Yeah, for sure. And finally, uh Ben, I was talking to some uh, you know, some of the minor league players that when I uh, when I cover the uh am League here in Ottawa and, and they've always mentioned, well, your ace is supposed to be the guy that, you know, puts together seven innings, uh three year runs every single night. Marcus Stroman is the, is the ace of the Toronto Blue Jays and so far hasn't uh really done that this season. Marcos Estrada has been the guy. Would you say that Stroman is still the ace of this staff?
4: Well, no, I don't think he ever was the ace of this staff. Okay. And that's no disrespect to Stroman, but I, I just think that to, to be an ace, you have to have a full season. You have to do 200 innings, and, and you've got you've to put it together for that long. And so by that definition, I'd say this Blue Jays staff doesn't truly have an ace. Although, like you said, Marco Estrada is pitching phenomenally, and he's been their best starter this year. And really, when you look at what he's done ever since arriving in Toronto, that's, I think, 260 innings of ERA under three. It's phenomenal. I mean, he's led the American League in ERA for that period of time. Wow. So he has far exceeded expectations. But again, I I'm, I don't necessarily assume that that every team has an
1: No, uh, That's some big news there. I, I actually never had looked into those stats. But with that being said, we're going to wrap up uh, this segment of Around the Diamond. Ben, uh, we appreciate you coming on the show and talking uh, draft. And uh, uh, we look forward to maybe seeing the Blue Jays make the postseason. It was a pleasure.
4: Thanks, Don It's my pleasure. Hey, this is Jason Coker from the Ottawa Champions Baseball Club, and you're listening to Ottawa Champions Baseball on CKDJ 1079.
1: Welcome back to Around the Diamond on CKDJ 1079. Ottawa's new music and home to every single Ottawa Champions game. Before I was talking with Sportsnet's Ben Nicholson-Smith about the draft. And speaking of the draft, uh, we were scheduled to have TJ Zoik on this week's show. That was the Blue Jays' first-round pick, unfortunately. Uh, He just signed a new contract for about $4 million uh, to start off uh, with the Blue Jays, and he was unavailable to come on this week, but I'm still working to get him on for next week. So stay tuned. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, Diamond underscore Dante, to find out about uh, new guests and uh, what the show is going to be like for uh, every weekend at 5 that Saturdays and Sundays this show airs. Of course, we had a great show But it's time for our Ottawa Champions player feature as the Champions made a ton of signings, a little bit of releases. We'll get to that in just a bit. Uh, But I had a chance to sit down with newly acquired infielder Mike Mastroberti who came out of the University of New Hampshire, just missed out on this year's draft. Hal saw him and then brought him in uh, to play infield as the Ottawa Champions placed Jason Coker on the DL and then released uh, Brian Eary to make room for him as well. The Champions also signed Nick Cunningham released Robert Garza as we mentioned earlier so tons of move for the Ottawa champions but with that being said we're going to get to the interview that I had with Mike Mastroberti coming up right now on Around the Diamond on CKDJ 1079. So I'm joined here with uh, Mike Mastroberti newly acquired infielder uh, for the Ottawa champions and uh, Mike why don't you tell us a little bit yourself Uh, where'd you start where'd you go to school and how you got here?
0: Hey, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, Mike Mastroberti. i um, uh, I just graduated from Southern New Hampshire University and still working on my master's. Um, yeah, I, uh, played, uh, one year at Lenoir-Ryan University as a freshman in North Carolina, and then, uh, transferred to SNU, um, for my sophomore year, and, uh, played my junior year, ended up redshirting in my senior year, and then, uh. Played out my fifth year of eligibility um, this past year. And uh, yeah, just signed yesterday. So happy to be here. And uh, how does it feel to come to uh,
1: Canada? Um, you know, how does everything look to you? Uh, you know, weather's been great, but have you ever uh, been had a chance to go down here? I know New Hampshire's not too far from Canada.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've been to uh, Niagara Falls, which is in really Canada, okay. um, when I was younger. So, but uh, yeah, it's definitely my first time spending time in Canada. It's a great place to live. It's beautiful out here. So definitely not what I expected. I didn't really have any expectations, but it's really, truly, it's really, really nice out here. So it says on the roster that you're an infielder, but uh, what's your original
1: position? You would say.
0: I uh, mean, yeah, middle infield. I played second base uh, primarily in college because our shortstop actually just got drafted in the twenty-third round, so he was the better shortstop, so I moved over to second base. But uh, I mean, by trade, I'm definitely a shortstop who uh, could play all three infield positions. How was your uh, How was your uh, uh, your career in university playing for Southern New Hampshire, and uh, what did you learn playing there? Oh It was awesome, man. It was uh, it was probably the best fit that I could possibly imagine. I mean, the coaching staff is unbelievable. Um, They, uh, you know, they helped me get better than I could ever have imagined. And uh, they, uh, you know, I'm so close to them. I talk to them every day. And, uh, you know, what I learned primarily there is how to win. And uh, we went 15-7 this past year, and uh, winning is paramount so we, we learned how to win and uh, going 15-7 was a great experience so playing some big games playing some regionals and uh, just invaluable experience for our baseball career and Mike uh, through your high school career did you ever uh, you know play any other positions or do, were you mainly just infield or you pitch a little <laughs> yeah, in high school I uh, I wasn't very good in high school I actually uh, only played one year of varsity baseball in high school uh, wow. yeah I was on JV as a junior um, I only played second base because I was so small. I couldn't really reach many other positions. Couldn't really hit the ball in the infield. So That was me too. Yeah. I, yeah. Play,
1: I played second base, uh, but, I mean, not the same type of level as you. As uh, High school baseball is nothing compared to high school baseball in, uh, in America. Uh, but now that you – I mean, how did it really play out? How did you get the call? How did you get the chance to come here and play in Ottawa?
0: Uh, I was um, waiting on the draft. I had had myself a really good season. Um, oh, for the, the draft the, last week? Yeah. yeah oh, no way. Yeah, so I was waiting here from that, and I uh, didn't really go as planned. And uh, I had played with the uh, Sanford Mainers in the NACBL, which is in Maine. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Coach Isaac is uh, really tight with uh, Coach Lemieux. And I went up there to work out with the team right before the draft, and he said, hey, man, if the draft doesn't work out, I know you're old. You know, you're 23, so it might not work out oh, for you. Oh, it's it. not too old. Well, it is for the draft. So, uh, yeah. And he, uh, he said, I'm going to send send the team your information, and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. And I got a call morning after the draft, and they were just interested in signing me. And then uh, next day I got my contract, so –
1: I guess now that you're in Auto, you've had a, at least a day or two to uh, spend time with uh, former NL Manager of the Year, former big leaguer, Hal Lanier. Uh, I mean, what? How, do, how does it feel, and and what's the experience like to play under a guy like him? I mean, it's, it's an honor. Oh, to you play. haven't had too much yeah, time. I mean, but, yeah,
0: uh, it's, it's an honor to be in the same dugout as that guy. I mean, he uh, he's he's got a, a wealth of baseball knowledge and information, and um, you know, I'm I'm really fortunate to be able to learn from him and you know, see what I can pick up, see how he can make me better. And then uh, hopefully I can take that information help our team win. And I guess now that you come to Ottawa, uh,
1: what do you bring to the team? You got a little speed, a little bit of pop. Uh, what do you bring to the Ottawa champions?
0: Uh, I mean, I really don't like to talk about myself, but uh, I mean, I can, I can run a little bit. Um, you know, I'm definitely a, a pretty strong defender. Um, you know, I, I pride myself in not striking out a lot, and we'll see if that plays against the professional pitching. But I, I try to, you know, put the ball in play, try to square everything up, uh, give the team, you know, four quality at bats a game and so. stuff.
1: And uh, I was looking at your, your batting stance. You got a little funky stance <laughs> over there. Uh, How would you pick that up, Mike?
0: Me, man, it's just all about being comfortable. Um, I couldn't even tell you. Really? It hey, yeah. just uh, just happened? Yeah. I mean, I used, to, I used to be actually pretty straight up. My hands were kind of far away from my body, and I kind of made my own adjustment where the pitches aren't usually up. So I kind of put my, want to put my hands where the pitch is going to be, and I uh, just kind of went from there. But, I mean, I've been told that it'll never work. I've been told you need to change. And, yeah. Uh, you know, until it stops working um i'm probably gonna keep it so so i guess whatever
1: works works and, yeah, and that's how you succeed absolutely. uh here in ottawa um so far how's the experience been uh uh playing uh, just seeing the professional ball kind of atmosphere and uh the stadium and everything uh here itself and the teammates
0: yeah it's uh it's definitely different from college um everybody's i mean everybody's professional i mean everybody comes in they got a agenda they got a you know a routine that they're sticking to which i just you know i am only been here for two days so i'm still trying to find my routine but uh Everybody's here sticking to an agenda and to a routine, and uh, it's what makes them good, and I'm going to hopefully find what makes me good soon.
1: Mike, it's been a pleasure, and we look forward to seeing you on the field. Yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate it. That was Mike Mastroberti, infielder for the Ottawa Champions. Coming up next in our final segment of Around the Diamond, I will have post-game comments with Hal Lanier on a tough series against the Quebec Capitals, uh, doing a full wrap-up of the weekend baseball for the Ottawa champions, and then uh, a wrap uh, and post-game comments from the champions' first game against the Cuban national team. That's all here coming up next after your quick commercial break on Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9.
5: Hey, this is Tyler Wilson from
6: the Ottawa Champions Baseball Club, and you're listening to Ottawa Champions Baseball on CKDJ
5: 107.9.
1: Welcome back to the only baseball show in Ottawa. You're listening to Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9. And we are now in our final segment. Coming up next, I had a chance to talk with Hal Lanier post-game after getting swept by the Quebec Capitals, and he did not sound happy. Here's what he had to say about that series. Right, hell, a tough ball game for you guys. You, you scored two runs in the, the first inning, and then were, I guess, quiet uh, the rest of the game. And uh, I guess your thoughts on the game?
6: From the first inning until the ninth inning, we had terrible at-bats against a pitcher that's thrown 82 miles an hour. If we can't make our adjustments at the plate, with a guy throwing like that and not get any more runs, something's wrong. Um, Gil Pitts a good, good ball game. They got four infield base hits, a couple bunts, and that was the ball game. We threw the ball around again. You know, I'm getting tired of seeing my experienced players not do good. If that means changes, so damn be it. I've, my patience is done. I've seen enough of these players that should be producing, and they're not. Then it's time to make changes. Where we're we going to get these players, I don't know. But I'll be on the telephones. You can put that in the goddamn paper.
2: <clears throat> you guys had a chance to win in the ninth again. Uh, go ahead, run at the plate, and Fitz, uh, Fitzsimmons came in and struck out the
1: side.
6: He's, he's a top pitcher. We get the first two guys on, we can't make contact. You know, from then on. And, um, you know, I'm not very happy with, with the three games that we played. We're back in the same situation that we were almost when we went on the road and won five ball games. You got to do a lot better than that. You can't throw ball games away. We've been throwing balls of just giving them games. We're not beating, they're not beating us, we're beating ourselves.
1: That was Hal Lanier's post-game comments after being swept by the Quebec Capitals and falling to a losing record below 500. is the Ottawa Champions. But fortunately, last night, the Ottawa Champions beat the Cuban national team in the home opener against Cuba. And Hal Lanier was a lot happier than the night before. This is what he had to say, along with Austin Chrisman. (laughs) I was going to say, Hal, I guess to start things off, you you look a lot happier. The team played excellent tonight. Uh, Your uh, initial thoughts? We played
6: a very good ball game. Um, I mean, from starting pitcher, Chrisman, through good. The bullpen came in, did their job tonight. Uh, We played excellent defense. We were very aggressive on the bases. And we talked about that a little bit uh, before the game, getting a little bit more aggressive. And, uh, you know, we scored some runs with – uh, with our stolen bases. I mean, Helms had, I think, three huh. stolen bases, so worked a double steal you know, just right, so it was a good ball game. I'm um, you know, glad to see all the fans come out, mm-hmm. and um, it was a good day for us. I guess against a team like that, uh, maybe some sort of more motiv- motivation for guys to, sh- to show what they can do, maybe more scouts and stands, too? I don't think so. Uh, you know, again, that's part of our game. We, we have some guys that can run, and we talked about being a little bit more aggressive maybe creating some things, make something happen instead of just, you know, waiting for a base hit, you know, maybe bun a guy over, maybe hit and run once tonight. So, you know, they, they did it. I mean, I've got like five or six guys that have the green light and, you know, all of them stole. (laughs) So, you know, when you, when you do that, you put pressure on the pitcher because you're getting in scoring position and, know we got some big base hits the first inning got you know the four run uh, inning so it was good to see that you know we swung the bat better and played better a lot better defense we made some great plays some double plays so I was really really pleased with that tonight
1: and now that you do mention the defense how it seems like you know not making an error on the board was really another big key to your success tonight
6: well it is I mean um, you know we played everyone played good defense We made too many errors so far. We talked about that today. Also, we made 42 errors. You know, as I said last night, we're giving games away instead of winning the games that we should be winning. And hopefully, this is a starting point that um, you know we're going to play a good brand of baseball. Uh, I still have a lot of confidence in the ball club, and um, hope we just keep on going you have something I didn't tell from uh, Duarte and Maeda about, about their lineup? With the no, I really didn't. Um, I asked him about the arms in the outfield, <laughs> you know, because that's, that's, I don't. I didn't know. And he said most of them had good arms. But I'm sure that they they both enjoyed, you know, um, playing against their fellow countrymen. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they saw them in Quebec because we was, when we played Quebec, um, there, they were staying at the same hotel, so they got to communicate with each other, and you know, I'm sure that they enjoyed seeing each other again and talking to them, and you know, it's good for them. Did anything change so. in terms of your approach uh, with regards to the team coming in late and maybe that first inning? I don't know. It, it's tough. You know, they didn't get take take you know get to take batting practice, take ground balls it's tough for a team, to, you know, just to come in cold. Yeah. So I'm sure that, you know, tomorrow, you know, we got to play the, the brand of baseball that we did tonight.
0: Alright, thanks.
1: All right, Austin, a uh, great start for you. You've been good all season. Uh, I guess, uh, what's been the key to su- your success so far this
5: year? Uh, just uh, really defense, you know. I mean, we struggled a little bit, you know, defensively, but I feel like lately we've been picking it up, you know, making plays behind us, and that's, you know, really working i feel like you know i've i've been able to locate the ball and get ground balls most of the times and yeah it's, it's really helped how is the chemistry between you and danny Grauer worked out you guys know each other a little bit you live together it must be nice to know that <laughs> yeah he's my roomie so uh, yeah I've, I've known him for a few years so it's we i feel like we have a connection for sure um yeah i trust him I, you know when i whether it's an arm angle, getting out of spot, I mean, he picks it up. He lets me know right away, and usually I can adjust next pitch, next two pitches. Yeah, extra juice pitching against a national team like that. Too. Uh, I mean, there's there are a few more fans in the seats today, so you know the, the adrenaline goes a little more. But you know, I mean, at the end of the day, it's another team, it's another another players, and you know, I was just excited for the opportunity to you know play against a national team. You know, they had some good guys who had some good swings. You know, just talent on the team for sure
1: Austin what do you think in terms of your pitches the way you've been able to get ahead in the count like today has been the key to your success how you've been able to do that with Danny
5: oh yeah with Danny I mean like I said I, I trust him I feel like he trusts me you know we uh we rarely disagree you know just getting ahead of guys you know it really helps when you fall behind you know they're looking for a fastball right down the middle and yeah there you go double off the wall I mean it's with baseball, it's it's not easy, but if you simplify the little things, you know, it's it makes it easier, I guess. Per se, you have yeah. a higher percentage of you know coming out on top. I guess. All right, thanks, Austin. Yeah, thanks. no problem.
1: That was Hal Lanier and Austin Crisman after a big six to one win over the Cuban national team on Friday night. And remember, tonight at seven o'clock, the Cuban national team and the Ottawa Champions will face off for game. Two of the series. Of course, there will be fireworks, which is a monumental uh, moment here in Ottawa uh, at the RCGT Park because that's the first time since the Lynx were in town that fireworks uh, will be thrown out um, during the ballgame, which will, will be really nice, especially if someone hits a home run you put the fireworks out. It's going to be a great night. I will have the call at 7.05 along with Corey Mess on CKDJ1079 and CanAmLeague.tv thanks so much for listening to around the diamond and and just before we go um Austin Crisman pitched excellent last night he knows Danny Grau I wanted to talk about his starts he's been the the most consistent pitcher for the Ottawa Champions as he's now fifth in the league in ERA his ERA is now below two at I believe it's 196 and he has a, a two and two record he's been outstanding for the Ottawa Champions and last night a lot of MLB scouts were in attendance. So I wouldn't be surprised if he might be getting a couple of calls here and there because he's been outstanding. He was also a former draft pick of the Houston Nationals and spent three years in their organization, reaching as high as high. eh? With that being said, that wraps up the June 18th edition of Around the Diamond. Thank you so much to Ben Nicholson-Smith, Jimmy Van Ostridge, Mike Mastroberti, and also my co-host, Michael Nellis, who was unable to attend the final two segments of the show uh, due to Rogers TV as he had to uh, call the game on Rogers and attend to other things. But uh, I appreciate everyone coming on the show next week. I have a couple good guests lined up as Bo Bichette and TJ Zoic are scheduled to join me on the show along with uh, some more Champions Talks and uh, more guests to come. You're listening to Around the Diamond on CKDJ1079. If you want to test or look at a couple of my past episodes, you can check me out at Diamond Dante Audio at SoundCloud or at my Twitter, Diamond underscore Dante. I uh, link all of my shows in the description on my Twitter so you can check me out there. We'll see you next Saturday. You're listening to Around the Diamond on CKDJ1079, Ottawa's new music.